Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fig Widow podcast. It's Dana Janae. I'm back to talk to you about music this week. We're talking music with my guest, Brittany Chantel, who is Pittsburgh artist, um, writer, musician, hip-hop artist, um, dancer, all around, like triple, quadruple threat. And I'm really excited to talk to her today about um, her previous project, The Fire and Venus, and her upcoming project called A Golden Opportunity. So I'll be talking to her in a little bit about all of her music endeavors. Uh, but before that, I want to talk to you about the things I've been reading. <laughs> <Ooh>. <coughs> I've been sick, so I have a little cough. And I'm trying to get rid of it, but it's not going away. So excuse me if I have to cough during this recording. Um, but yeah, I want to talk to you about what I'm reading. So this week I purchased a few books for Christmas, um, which by the way, Merry Christmas if you celebrate, Happy Hanukkah if you celebrate, I hope you have a, had a great new year, etc. Um, all the holiday thingies. Um, but yeah, I got myself some books for Christmas. The first book I got was In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. And the second book I got was Calling a Wolf a Wolf by Kaveh Akbar, which is a book of poems, uh, which I'll be reading to you from very quickly. Um, not quickly, very shortly is what I mean to say. Um, yeah, so In the Dream House was phenomenal. Um, one of the most creative and dynamic novels or memoirs I've ever, I've ever read. Um, it was heartbreaking, but it was like funny and moving and challenging and oftentimes very scary. Carmen Maria Machado is like very good at doing horror and literature. If you haven't read Her Body and Other Parties, then pick that up as well. It's a really great book. Um, there are some very spooky tales in that collection of short stories. But yeah. So this book, In the Dream House, is her memoir about being in an abusive relationship with another woman, um, which is something that doesn't get talked about very often in the queer community and the LGBTQ community, um, about the ways that women can harm other women. And that's a topic that gets talked about in the book a lot, about the literature that is around that topic, how a lot of it um, doesn't describe a lot of the stories that happen to women, um, doesn't talk a lot about emotional and psychological abuses compared to physical um, violent abuse like that. Um, so it was a really great read. It was really hard. It's um, triggering. So read at your own caution. Um, but if you think you can handle that sort of thing, then it's a wonderful read. Um, what else? I finished, uh, what was it? Frankenstein. I finished Frankenstein by Jeanette Winterson. Um, it was good. Uh, I feel like the ending sort of came up hard under me, like a like a floor just coming out of nowhere. Um, like I wanted it to last a little bit longer. Um, I really wanted it to be longer. Maybe that's because I listened to it in audiobook form. So I'll probably get a physical copy and try and see if that helps. Um, but I felt like the ending was a little bit rushed, but it was still a really great read. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so that was really good. 
this week I started another audiobook called uh, Baby Teeth. I forget who that's by. Let me check. Um, I like that the book is set in Pittsburgh because uh, that's where I live. Um, so that's been really interesting to like listen to all these. Uh, so the book is by Zoja Stage. Zoja Stage, I believe. Z-O-J-E Stage. Um, yeah, so that book is about uh, Pittsburgh, but more importantly, it's about the relationship between a mother and a daughter. The daughter is about three or four years old, and the mother um, is a stay-at-home mom who feels as though her child um, isn't talking out of like some sort of malicious intent. Um, and we get both perspectives. We get the mother and the daughter, so we get to see why exactly this child isn't speaking um, from her own mind. Um, and that's been a really interesting listening experience. So I've been having a lot of fun with that, um, getting sort of like tangled up in the story a lot. Um, but yeah, I want to read to you some poems from this Kabe Akbar uh, book of poetry. So I'll do that in a minute. So this first poem I want to start with is called Portrait of the Alcoholic with Withdrawal. Everyone wants to know what I saw on the long walk away from you. I couldn't eat and didn't sleep for an entire week. I can hardly picture any of it now, save the fox I thought was in the grass but wasn't. I remember him quiet as a telescope, tiny as a Plutonian moon. Everything else was wilding around us. The sky and the wind, the riptides in the rogue comet blasting toward Earth. Do you remember this? I introduced myself by one of the names I kept back then. The fox was so still, I could have called him anything. A lot of these poems are long. Um, so I'm gonna read only a couple. And they have, um, many of them don't have a lot of punctuation, so they're a little bit harder to read. Um, but they're also beautiful. Okay, I'm gonna try this one. It's called Best Shadows. You love when I'm like this, coated with ranch dressing and rum. Look under the bandages, an entire saint. Here's what I own, a blackened coin and yes for an answer. The countdown to the next major miracle is on. Till then, I'll manage less and less. Did you rejoice when you left? If you spin around quickly enough, it's almost like being drunk. This has to do with the liquids in your skull. I never told you about the tiny beetle I saw crawl out of your ear, afraid you wouldn't sleep in my bed again if you knew. I wish you were here so I could bend a mirror around your face, pour you back into you. Ah, there goes another wish. Minute to minute, I'm fine. Right lung, left lung, blink. 
but the late hours get so long. One of the best shadows I cast is the one that ripples over water. There is so much ink in our river now. It's swallowing up all the green. Do you know how hard it is to dig a new river? To be the single tongue in a sack full of teeth. Sometimes to get the feeling you're never coming back. This one is called prayer. Again, I am thinking of self-love, filled with self-love. The stomach of the girl who ate only hair was filled with hair. They cut it out when she died. It formed a mold over her stomach, reducing a life to its most grotesque artifact. My gurgling internal devotion to myself, a jaw half-formed. There are words I will not say the muscle of my face smeared with clay. I am more than the worry I make. I choose my words carefully. We know now some angels are more terrifying than others. Our enemies are replaceable. The stones behind their teeth glow in moonlight. Compared to even a small star, the moon is tiny. It is not God, but the flower behind God I treasure. I just really get lost in reading these poems. Like one just reads to another, to another, and it gets so hard to like stop. I think the lack of punctuation sort of lends itself to that and also makes you want to like pause a lot more and think about what you're reading and what you're looking at. Um, so I think that's a sort of maybe an intended part of writing that way, but I'm not sure. I want to read one more, but I'm trying to find a short one that I can do very easily. Maybe I'll read a portion of a longer one. Okay, I'll read a portion of this one called Rim Rock. Without the benefit of fantasy, I can't promise I'll be of any use. Left to the real world, I tend to swell up like roots in rain, tend to get all lost in hymns and astrology charts. Lately, I've been steaming away, thin as cigarette paper, cleaning up the squirrels that keep dying in my yard. Each cascade of fur feels like a little tuft of my own death. Am I being dramatic? Mostly I want to be letters, not their sounds, but their shapes on a page. It must be exhilarating to be a symbol for everything at once. The bone caught in a child's windpipe, the venom hiding in a snake's jaw. I used to be so afraid of nature. Peering up at a rush of rim rock, I imagined how unashamed it would be to crush even me, 
a tiny stuttering boy with glasses. I pictured myself reduced to a warm globe of blood and urine to become sturdy in my endlessness, to grow heavy and terrible as molten iron poured down a throat. Still, I don't know the rules. If I go looking for grace and find it, what will grace yield? Broken ribs, probably, flakes of rust, an X marked in an atlas which itself has been lost for ages. Oh, but I do know what I am. Moonstruck, stiff as wet bamboo. I remember someone once sang here, once strung together a garland of nearly holy moments. It's serious business, this living. As long as the earth continues its stony breathing, I will breathe. When it stops, I will shatter back into gravity, into quartz. Okay, that's the last one I'm going to read. Um, and I read the whole thing. I was going to read a part of it, but I read the whole thing because I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> so I'll be back with a minute with my um, untoppable bop for the week. Yes, untoppable bops. All right, I'm back with my untoppable bop for the week. Um, this bop is... It has been on repeat in my house, in my headphones for days now. It's a little song called So Hot You're Hurting My Feelings by Caroline Polachek, who is from the project um, Chairlift, if you remember them. They had this little bop called Handstands a long time ago. Um, it was really cool and very like cute. Um, but this song is like um, Bob City. It's so cute. It's a fun little like falling in love song about somebody that you're so attracted to, that you're having like X-rated dreams about, that you're like thinking about kissing and touching so much. And it's just like, if you've ever seen somebody so fine that it's like almost offensive, this is that song for you. Just like looking at them makes you like want to touch them, but also repulse because they're like so incredibly divine as a human being. It's that sort of like attraction that this song gets at. And I love it because I feel that way about so many people because I'm constantly falling for somebody and it's always like the most intense physical attraction that I've ever experienced every single time because I'm so fucking dramatic. I'm so dramatic. But yeah, I love this song. So How You Hurting My Feelings by Caroline Polachek. This whole entire album that this song is on, it's called Pang. It's... It's one that you can listen to the whole way through and not skip a single song. Um, some of the real standouts for me on this project are title song, title track, Pang, uh, Hit Me Where It Hurts, I Give Up is really good, um, Ocean of Tears, Go As A Dream, Caroline Shut Up is also really good, um, and Door is like also a bop, a bop, bop, bop. Oh my goodness. Yeah, this whole album is... Just a fucking dream. It came out in October of 2019. So I was a little late to the party. But either way, it's just, uh, it's so good. Please listen to it. Please stream. Do what you can. Um, honorable mention goes to, uh, well, actually, I'll just do that for next week's Untoppable Bop because that song is also really fucking awesome. So I'll do that for next week. But yeah, that's my Untoppable Bop for the week.
All right, we're back with my guest for this evening. Everybody say hello to Brittany Chantel. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain about too much. Well, mm-hmm. I can, but I just did that too. <laughs> I just did that <laughs> yeah. when I came in. <laughs> yeah. So um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Fire on Venus, and then we can transition into the newer project. Yeah, totally. Um, so with that project... What was the songwriting process like of, you know, creating these queer love songs and like songs about love and heartbreak and things like that? Yeah. Um, it was really interesting with A Fire and Venus because I had like a collection of like maybe seven to nine songs that had little bits and pieces written already for like a long time mm-hmm. or like to me is a long time. Um because each one was, each one maybe was, each song was about somebody. Mm. So, you know, a lot of those songs were like the chorus or one verse or even like just four lines was written about that person in that present time. You know, like whenever I was with them or I was on a date with them or whatever. Um, well, like not presently on the date, but yeah. like <laughs> after the date gone really bad, then I would write that those lyrics or something. So, you know, like I had um, some of the songs were were started from like 2015, 2016, 2017, you know, like a lot of them were started um, with that. It brought about like a way different um, process for me to write the songs because going back and trying to finish those songs when they're about people who, you know, I quote unquote have canceled Mm -hmm. or, you know, have just like gotten over the situation. Um, Or even if, you know, like, you know, there's one instance where like apologies were given and like, we're cool, you know? So it was like really hard to write a heavy song about the person, you know, the way that I wanted to, like, I wanted to explain the emotions at the time being when I felt them. But in the present moment, when I'm finishing this song, I'm like, I mean, like this person's all right. Like I'm cool with them now, you know? So I kind of had to like sit with a lot of the songs and really like, honestly, close my eyes and think about those times being with those people. And, um, I ended up pulling, I tried to like close my eyes and think about those times and pull like five words that I, mm. that I was like feeling. And some of those words made it into the song. And then some of them just kind of like helped, um, helped write the song, you know, like I didn't use the actual word, but it yeah. helped, helped with the feeling. Um, and then further I had to, um, I had to bring in Treble and Aless to, um, help me co-write because some of the stories were so big. Like, you know, I love to talk. You know what I mean? Like I love, I love talking. So it was so difficult to put um this really heavy feeling emotional story into a three-minute song. You know, yeah. like when I could talk about this story for an hour and a half, like how do I mm-hmm. condense that down? Yeah. So what's really nice about co-writing with someone like Treble and Aless is that, you know, he's really present. Like he's, he's there, you know? So you, if, if I want to, I can take 30, 45 minutes and spit that story to him 
And I think he almost prefers that too. And then we kind of jump back and we look at the computer screen, we know Word document or whatever, Google Doc. And then we're able to like better condense those feelings down into lyrics that make sense, mm-hmm. you know? Um, sometimes that process with him looked like I had a song completely written, um, the chorus, the verse, everything written, and then giving him a shortened version of the story. And then him looking at the lyrics and going, okay, I see why you put this line in here, but you're kind of repeating yourself. So let's take that line out and let's put something else in. Mm. So he helped a lot with the process. And I honestly feel like it would have taken, it would have taken me 10 times longer to get a fire on Venus out there if it wasn't for his assistance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did you meet him? Um, We met through One Hood, One Hood Media. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, we, we didn't like, we didn't like hit it off right away or anything like that. I actually saw him um, close to the South side carrying a whole bunch of groceries and bags and stuff. And I was like, where is he going? Cause he wasn't like, he really wasn't near a bus stop or anything. Mm-hmm. So I, I, um, I was looping back around and I called him and I'm like, yo, do you need a ride somewhere? And I barely knew him, you know what I mean? And he was like, that would be wonderful. He was, he was walking like all the way from like lower South side, all the way up to like deep Mount Oliver. Oh damn. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, so I actually ended up giving him a ride and during that, like, you know, 10 minute ride, I don't even know if it was 10 minutes really. Um, we chatted a lot very quickly and then we ended up linking up after that. We became like best friends. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I should loop back and ask you a different question that I wanted to ask first. How do you describe yourself as an artist? Yeah, that's a tough one for me now um, yeah. because I think like I've been, I don't know, if you look at like all my all my bios and stuff, I, I changed that title of my, I changed that title for myself so many times. Yeah. Um, and a part of that reason or a part of the, the, yeah, part of the reason why that happens is because my my sound in my uh in my projects change so often and so I'm always trying to genre myself Mm. and I feel like that's like that's not me wanting to put myself in a genre that's just like I feel like there's like this expectation to genre yourself you know because like someone goes on my Instagram and it just says artist you know like what kind of artist am I I don't know you know performer yeah what kind of performer am I so I'm always changing that around so like Sometimes I say pop artist, sometimes I say hip hop pop, you know, that's, those are the general categories that I'm in. But also if you listen to a fire on Venus, I feel like working with Remy Vegas on the production, like there's a lot of jazz influence in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, some people have said neo soul. Some people have said R and B, you know, like mm-hmm. I feel like there's just a lot of different um, mending of, of genres for me. So as of right now, I just say pop, hip hop artist, uh, visual artist, and then speaker. Yeah. Yeah. What does that feel like to sort of blur the lines with genre? Like when you're in a performance space, but also just like when you're doing your elevator pitch for like yeah. funding and things like that. Yeah. It's um, it's getting easier. Okay. Like I think this time last year was very difficult for me. Like I almost felt like, um, I don't know. Like it was almost like imposter syndrome. Like mm-hmm. oh, oh, this time last year I was calling myself a rapper, and now I'm now you know now I'm saying I'm a pop artist. And then like, is this really pop or is this hip hop? And 
it was really difficult, but I think it's getting easier now because I'm just going with the flow, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think it's going to be more difficult when this new project comes out because it's very hip hop. Yeah. Very hip hop. Um, and heavy. The topic is very heavy. So it's, it's a lot different from a fire on Venus. So I'm probably going to drop the pop, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say pop. I'm just going to say I'm a hip hop yeah. artist, you know? Um, but yeah, in, in terms of like elevator pitch and stuff like that, um, I just, you know, I, I go with the flow. I say, I say what, what I feel, um, what I feel is currently relevant, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of people who have like, Hey, like I went and listened to your stuff. And like, that doesn't sound like pop. That sounds like you're more like neo soul, hip hop, jazz type thing. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. It's just like, <laughs> and, and also I think, I think what has made it more difficult too, is that genres now are getting so expansive. And then there's like sub genres. Yeah. And then there's like sub genres of the sub genres. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like, it's getting so um, detailed that, you know, you can call, you can call me like 10 different types of genres and like they're, none of them are wrong. Yeah, know? for sure. So, but yeah. Yeah. Do you think that fluidity is a strength? Yes, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. And I, I don't think I'm going to ever have um, two projects that sound the same, yeah, to be honest. For sure. So, Yeah. I think it is. I think it makes it difficult. It makes it more difficult for me to perform in Pittsburgh, though. Because, mm. um, I mean, like, let's be honest, like, there's really not that many pop artists here. Yeah, that's true. So when I classify myself as a pop artist, I actually have noticed that I don't get as many um, uh, performance requests mm. um, versus if I classify myself classify myself as hip-hop. Okay. Um, I have noticed that. Um yeah, and there's, it seems like, I could be mistaken, but it seems like there's less multi-genre shows happening now than there were whenever I first started, like 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. I feel like now shows are like pre-set in their genres. So, you know, with A Fire on Venus, I really, um, besides any any One Hood shows, I really wasn't incorporated in any multi-genre stuff, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, I want to talk about the new Hazlitt theater show that you did. Because mm-hmm. I think that's also like a blending of genres. So there was, you know, like dance, there was choreography, there was like costume mm-hmm. and lighting and all this stuff that was going on. Can you talk about that experience a little bit? Yeah, yeah. That was an awesome experience. Um, one of the most stressful, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, just for the simple fact that there was a lot of people involved. Mm-hmm. You know, like there were over 20 people that were directly um, involved in making that production happen. So, um, you know, that's a lot for me to uh, to deal with and, you know, like wrangling people up just to, you know, um, be on time for rehearsal and like, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> hey, where's this person? Oh, they went to the bathroom. Man, we're trying to start, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Um, you know, which is like the little things that you deal with with the production. But um, I had I had never worked in a theater before. Um, so there was a lot of uh, language that we didn't know, like me and my band and my well, the dancers knew the language, but the band didn't um, like call like simple things like call time. Mm-hmm. Like they say, oh, call times at six. 
does call time mean that we're in the building, but six is like the time where we're ready to go to start rehearsing? Or does call time mean that everyone shows up in the building at six? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, yeah, are we pulling sure. up at six? So, um, yeah, there was, there was like, there was like a couple of days of confusion, you know, and, um, I have never worked with a lighting designer before. Yeah. You know, when, when he asked me like, what do you want for the song Hydrangea? I was like, I don't know. You know Cause, <laughs> Cause like, how can you ask for something that you don't know? Like what's possible, yeah, exactly. you know, like there's, I mean, I'm sure millions of possibilities with lighting, you know, and like, I was like, well, what is possible? And they're like, oh, well, the, you know, the theater already comes equipped with this, this, and this. I'm like, the three things that you just said, I have no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. Like, I, they were saying, like, a phaser. I was like, what? I don't know what a phaser is, yeah. you know? So it was a lot of learning. Um, it was a lot of coordinating. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, overall, it was a great experience. You know, I just wanted to... When when a when a theater like that gives you an opportunity that big, you know, you like two nights back to back, um, you know, you're you know, you're getting a stipend, you know, to to pay people and you're getting a lighting designer and a costume designer, a set designer. When you get that type of opportunity, like you don't want to let anybody down. Yeah, for sure. You know, so like I definitely had that pressure on my back too, where like I want to deliver and I wanna make sure that ticket sales are high. I wanna make sure that people come to see this, you know? So, um, overall it was, it was amazing. You know what I mean? But it was definitely stressful for sure. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. What was it like for you as a performer to be in that space for like the first time during the nights that you were actually like on stage? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it was so wild because we all agreed that our Friday show was so much easier than our Thursday show because mm-hmm. like the Thursday show, we were definitely like, you know, really nervous. I mean, the dancers, you know, like they, they do this stuff all the time, you know what yeah. I mean? So I don't, I don't really think it applies to them as much as us, but, um, but the band and myself, uh, definitely kind of got all the nerves out after Thursday night, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, there was nothing but good things, uh, said about it, you know, from everyone. Um, the band, you know, expressed, there was like, difficulty in knowing how to like uh work with the dancers because some of some of the um choreography was kind of like uh free-flowing and and not as rigid so Mm -hmm. you know they wouldn't know the band wouldn't know if they had to um like draw out the song so that the dancers could get off the stage you know Um, and then we would transition so it was like it was a it was a learning definitely like a um a huge learning opportunity for the band in how to interact with dancers. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I think, you know, the dancers to interact with the live band too, because Mm -hmm. we did a lot of rehearsal to uh, the recorded album, you know, so the dance, the dancers did. So, Um, but overall, like it was, it was really great both nights. Yeah. 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 Is that something that you would do again? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I definitely, um, you know, I definitely want to, take that type of production on the road. Um, I don't know if it will happen with a fire on Venus um, for many reasons, just because like, it's such a huge album, 17 songs. Um, And um, you know, I have my, the new project coming out. So I don't know if it will happen with a fire on Venus, but it is set to tour. 
I mean, I have that lighting plot saved and I have, <clears throat> I have, you know, the dancers have their choreography set. The band knows what to do. I know what to do. We have, we have costumes already, props already. Like we have all of that. So um, it is ready to go on tour. It's just a matter of money, honestly. Mm, yeah. I can't ask, you know, I have five dancers, uh, five band members plus two backing vocalists. I can't ask that amount. I can't ask anybody um, to just say, hey, like, leave your full-time job and forget your bills that you have to pay and come on the road with me. Yeah. You know, I have to, I have to provide people with some sort of financial stability so that they can leave and go on the road with me, you know? So it's like, I don't know, maybe if someone's listening, maybe you can like send me 50,000 or something. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, put it out there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I feel like this album, if I remember, has seen a lot of success with streaming platforms. Yeah. Um, because of like Shawnee Nicholas and uh, her Zodiac playlist. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you manage to get on those playlists? And like, what was it like the first time you saw your song start to get like ten thousand, you know, up to that many streams? Yeah. What's really wild is I put a lot of pressure on Remy, the producer. Mm. Um, as well as his brother, um, Vaughn, to master the album, I put a lot of pressure on them to get it done um, three weeks or two weeks before the release date so that I could submit a song to Spotify playlists. Mm. So you have to like, if you're going to do that and you're an independent artist, as I am, and you're gonna like drop through DistroKid or TuneCore, you have to upload all of your songs, your album artwork, have everything right and tight at least two weeks before the drop date so that you can submit a song for review. Okay. I did that. Um, I found, and I, I submitted Wetlands for a playlist and um, it, didn't, it didn't make it. And I was like really bummed about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I posted, I posted like a, a screenshot of the email or something like that so that I didn't get it um, to my Instagram story. And my friend Molly, who um, uh, also goes by Marrow Design, she mm-hmm. did my, she did my website. Um, she saw it and um, she ended up sending, the album had already dropped. She ended up sending the, um, the link to wetlands to chime okay and said hey i think this would be a really good song for you to put on your playlist chani um responded and was like oh my god yes i'll put it on for next month so that would have been may so like may comes around i'm like man it's not on a playlist and i kind of just forgot about it honestly um and then all of a sudden, the next month, it must have been, it was either, I want to say it was June, but I could be mixing up my months. But I got an email and it was like, your your song, and it wasn't Wetlands, it was a different song from the album. Mm-hmm. Um, your song got onto the Zodiac playlist. And I was like, what? And I was like really confused because it wasn't Wetlands, you know, mm-hmm. so so forth. But yeah, that's how that happened. Um, wow. And then I guess like, I guess she listened to the, well, I know she listened to the entire album. Oh, wow. And so she was kind of like saving certain songs for certain months. Okay. And um, yeah, ended up putting a total of four of my songs on those playlists spread out through like five months. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, 
it's really one of those situations where I think about that saying, um, closed mouths don't get fed. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, wow. You know, like if, if Molly would have never, I know I wouldn't have reached out. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have even thought about that. Yeah. So, sure. you know, if Molly, if my friend Molly wouldn't have reached out with my, with the link, like probably maybe would never happen, you know? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are you, um, looking to get any more songs from that album on playlist or is the like time for that past? I think like there's like so many, um, there's so many thoughts on like how long you should like exhaust an album, Mm. you know? And like, there's so many, you know, people who quote unquote have popped off, you know, from an album that they released three years ago. You know, we, we see that a lot. Like a lot of the singles that hit the radio, are singles that have been out for like a year plus, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm like, I'm never against it getting onto another playlist, you know? Um, never, ever, ever. The one thing that I think I'm more so looking towards is um, having one of those songs or some of those songs put onto films mm. um, or, or, um, shows you know series netflix series whatever you know like one of the ones is like the l word you know i'm like really looking at them because it's like it's an it's an album all about queer love you know and like come on you know what i'm saying (laughs) like (laughs) you know what i mean so that's more so where i'm looking um for those songs to to go and like I just think that they would be perfect for that. Yeah, you I know? think so too. Yeah, so I'm never against them getting on another playlist, but I definitely am more so looking for that album to get onto films. Um, you know, I've been trying to collect with or connect with um, uh, what do they call them? Oh, they call it uh, music coordinators. Is what okay. they're called? Yeah, and I've been trying to connect with some music coordinators. Um, and there's a there's a website for the it's like music coordinators guild guild. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to connect with them. Um. Yeah, I just want I just want to get my song on the L word. Yeah, exactly. That's the dream, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you know when it's like time to put an album on the shelf or like move on to like the next thing? Like, how's that process for you? Yeah, it's been really weird for me because um, I feel like I've been trying to do this whole thing where I'm like, oh, I gotta release an album every year, mm-hmm. you know? Um, which I haven't, you know, like I didn't release anything in 2018, so. Um, I don't know. It's like, I feel like now with, especially with streaming um, in this day and age, I almost feel like you can never put an album on the shelf. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. Like, I know for a fact that, that I'm going to release this next project and there it's a very heavy topic project. So I know for a fact that not everyone's going to fuck with it, mm-hmm. you know? And like, that's just that, like, no one's going to ever love everything that you do. Just as like, you can't make everybody happy. So there's going to be people who see this project, listen to a couple songs, listen to 30 seconds of one song and say, that ain't for me, but they're still a fan of a fire on Venus. Yeah. And they'll still listen to that. You know, like it's, it's very, very possible that um, the, the streaming numbers on a fire on Venus will always surpass my next project. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know. But that's definitely possible. So with that being said, you know, like, I don't think I'll ever be able to put it on the shelf. And in terms of like moving on to a next project, for me, that's really dictated by time and money, honestly. 
um, because I have so much material. Like I have like 500, literally not even an exaggeration between voice memos, my personal voice recorder and my Google Docs and my Word doc, my Word docs that I have on my computer and my hard drive. I probably have like 500 songs. Wow. Yeah. Like not all of them are complete by any means, mm-hmm. um, but at least concepts, you know what I'm saying? So like I have material yeah, <laughs> for years, for sure. so it's just a matter of getting it all together and um, it being the right time for, you know, time for me, for Remy um, and and money wise, really. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to take a little break and then okay. we'll be back to talk about the next project. All right, so um, let's talk about a golden opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what um, that project's about. Yeah, so um, yeah, so the album is called "The Golden Opportunity." It is. Um, it's all about my experience through the military. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the Pennsylvania Army National Guard from 2011 to 2018, um, and. I always, I always try to tell everyone that like my brainwashing when it comes to the military didn't start when I joined the Pennsylvania Army National Guard. Mm-hmm. It started in high school, and it started because my high school had um, a Marine Corps JROTC program okay. that I joined like straight out of the gate from middle school, like ninth grade. I was in it. Um, my brother had did the program and, um, you know, I come from like a, like a, a semi-military family mm-hmm. and, um, it became like the one thing that I was really, really good at in high school. You know, like I really wasn't good at sports. Like I did, like I did a few things here and there, but I wasn't excelling to the point where like, you know, I was getting like first place or something like that in track or anything like that. So I was really, really good at JRTC. I set a lot of records. I was like top of my class and um, it became that thing for me. So um, this album talks a lot about how uh, there's certain things that leaders in the military that um, that they, they, they do or they say to you to make you believe that like this is your only way to like make it in life. Mm. You know, like this is the only way to have, you know, a successful career or the only way to be a leader or um, the only way to go to college. That was a big one for me. You know, like like one of the main reasons of why I joined was to get four years of free college. Yeah. Um, So, um, yeah, this this album just kind of like lays out all of these um, very specific points in my life, starting at age 14 um of situations that like we're like looking back like really questionable Mm -hmm. um the album's going to open up with a song called recruiters and um although JRTC was like my first real experience of I think being brainwashed um the the military recruiters of all branches were like always in um, the lunchroom in high school. Yeah. I know like a lot of people's schools, like they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll never forget this Marine Corps recruiter, um, 
I was 14, got me Subway because I didn't have my lunch money. I forgot my lunch money at home and like ran, you know, ran down the street and brought me back Subway. And then uh, he was like, you always wear that, that same hoodie is like a Penn State hoodie that I had. He's like, you always wear that you have other clothes? And I was like, yeah, like my parents clothed me. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not, it's not like I went to, I went to high school at West Elegant High School. It's not like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like an inner city school or something like that. So I'm like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And he was like, here, here, here. And he gave me three Marine Corps, like track suits and they were all different colors. Um, one was red one was like olive green and one was blue and like I'm not gonna lie like they were tight like they were sharp yeah. you know and like um that became my wardrobe like yeah. I was wearing that all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was living and breathing like Marine Corps like I was all about it um and that's at age 14 yeah you know so when you have this person who is like looking sharp, you know, like they're in the Marine Corps you know, uniform and they're looking sharp and they're kind and they're sweet and they're giving you free shit. They're buying you food. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, Subway is better than anybody's school lunch. I don't care where you go. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So as a kid, you know what I mean? So like giving me Subway for lunch and that wasn't the only time that he did that. Yeah. You know, he, he repeated that often, like got me McDonald's one time, you know what I mean? Got me Chinese food. So like I'm, I'm 14 years old. And, and the brainwashing has already started. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, like, if you really look at that, if you really look break that situation down, why is a recruiter talking to a 14-year-old with no adults present? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking weird. It's fucking weird, bro. Like, it's weird yeah. as fuck. You know what I mean? Like, that's... You know, if if he wasn't in a Marine Corps uniform, if he w- if he wasn't a recruiter, we'd be like, yo, that dude's creepy. Get him out. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like his things, his bags would be packed on the sidewalk in a second. Mm-hmm. So um, I talk about that. That opens up the album. Um, and I think it's really important for people to like look at that more, you yeah. know, especially how recruiters target black and brown teenagers yes you know and like again why is a recruiter talking to a 14 15 16 year old you can't join until you're 17 Mm -hmm. and even then you need a parent signature so in reality like if a recruiter is talking to a teenager parents should be involved yeah or guardians you know what i mean like an adult should be there whether that's a parent guardian or um a guidance counselor a teacher you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then not to mention, like, at that age, I had teachers, you know, like my math teacher and my English teacher, when they would ask, like, oh, what do you want to do when you graduate? And I was like, oh, I'm going to join the Marines. They'd be like, yeah, that's a great plan. And they, like, they never were in the Marines. Yeah. How could they tell me that that's a great plan? Mm-hmm. You know, like, you didn't, you weren't in, you didn't live that life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you aren't informed so a big part of a big part of this project is uh creating um more of an informed decision for people whether that's a teenager or a parent or a teacher or a guidance counselor whatever it's um laying down the information because 
in this album, I'm strictly only talking about things that I was involved in, like mm-hmm. situations that happened to me or that I witnessed. Yeah. You know, like I'm not, I'm not out here saying don't, jo- don't join the military. That's not what I'm saying. Cause I'll never tell someone how to live their life just as I don't want people telling me how to live my life, but I will give you the information of situations that I was in so that you can make a more informed decision if if you, if you should join. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that you bring that up. Cause like I had recruiters in my high school all the time and like nobody gave them like a second glance. Yeah. Like teachers, guidance counselors, even security guards, like, the fact that you have on like a uniform and have some sort of like authority through like a gun or whatever it is mm-hmm. gives you free reign of like high school age students. Yeah. That's so weird. It's wild. It's yeah. wild. Like so wild. Yeah. Like I know at our school, like they de- they definitely had to like they had to pass through our like the office and get like a visitor's pass. Mm-hmm. But a, vi- a, a sticker that says visitors pass on your uniform don't mean you can't do some weird shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it was, it was definitely weird. And it took me a very, very long time to look back at these situations and be like, wait a minute, that was fucked up. Yeah. You know? And like, um, I don't talk about this specific instance on the album, but there was a time where I was in, well, it was basic training and um, a kid, uh, uh, and see how I just said that? I said a kid. Mm-hmm. We're all 18. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's what they, they, cause they called us kids. They called us kids. Um, so this dude's uh, mom sent him uh, a box of Snickers, like, like mini Snickers, like the little Halloween, uh-huh. a box of them though, like big box. Mm-hmm. And you're not supposed to have candy um, when you're in basic training. There's some drill sergeants that, like, quote, unquote, got soft and would let people have candy and shit. But our drill sergeants wasn't having that. When we got our mail and they made you open up packages in front of a drill sergeant to make sure that you didn't get contraband. Yeah. So he opened it up and the drill sergeant was like, oh, boy, look at what we have here. And made him eat every single Snickers in front of the platoon. Holy shit. Then made us do push-ups. So everyone was, like, mad at him because his mom sent him Snickers bars and we had to do, like, 100 push-ups because of it. Mm. And, like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah. Like, that, that's wild. You know, like, if you really, like, break that down psychologically. Yeah. That's fucked up. That's scary. Yeah. And like when you think about uh physically what eating that 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 amount of Snickers, um, when like your body's kind of being cleansed during basic training because like you're working out a lot, they mm-hmm. feed you certain food, you're drinking lots of water, like you don't get to have soda pop, whatever, you know what I mean? So like your your body's kind of being cleansed. So like if you look at that, like he ate a whole bunch of Snickers, that's not good for him. He did it in front of the platoon, that's weird. We had to do push-ups because of it, which made people mad at him, mm-hmm. which it wasn't even his fault. Like, his mom is the one that sent the box. Yeah. And then he was mad at his mom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and and also, like, mad at the drill sergeant as well. Mm-hmm. And the drill sergeant was like, stop looking at me like you want to fucking kill me. Stop looking at me like you want to fucking kill me. 
And he he looked like he was about to cry. Like, yeah. if I, shit, I would have cried. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, like, that's, like, one of those stories that I had to tell because people will tell that story at a bar and they'll laugh about it. Yeah. You know, and like, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, we need to really look at this. Like, this is fucked up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, <sighs> yeah. That's all I have to say about that. It's just fucked up. Yeah. It's fucked up how quickly you could like make somebody turn on other people who are supposedly supposed to be like a part of their team, you know, mm-hmm. of like suddenly this guy who just got a gift from his mom is now like an enemy. Yeah. To everybody else, because you have to like endure this like physical punishment. Absolutely. Yeah. And people were mad that he got to have Snickers too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we didn't have candy for three months or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So people were mad at that too. Yeah. Like there's layers to that. Yeah. So and that's just one small situation. Like yeah. I have seen a lot more shit than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know? So yeah. So how did you go from being in, you know, basic to writing this album? Like, what was the process in between or, like, before and after? Yeah, I always, I will always say that um, it was a relationship that I was in. Mm-hmm. And um, I was extremely brainwashed. And to the point where I was told that terrorists look a certain way. Mm. If they look like this, that's a terrorist. Instantly. And, like, that was told to me by drill sergeants. That was told to me via cadence like the the things that we would sing when we're marching around Mm. that was like beaten into my head yeah and uh, I was in a relationship with this girl at the time and um there was a situation where I had hinted that someone around us was a terrorist Mm. and she was like what the fuck did you just say she's like you know she was like that's racist as fuck yeah. And uh, she ended up leaving me <laughs> there without a ride home. And I walked home. Mm-hmm. She was like, don't call me until you realize why that's fucking wrong. And, you know, I had a long walk home. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a long time to think. Uh-huh. Um, and that really put things into perspective for me of, wow, like, I really have been brainwashed. I really have been told to believe us to believe a certain way. Um, and from there, her and I ended up having a really deep conversation about a lot of the fucked up things that the military does. Um, it started with, you know, that, but then it also, um, we talked about like environmentally what Mm -hmm. the military does to the environment. Um, we talked about like, how it doesn't just affect soldiers, it affects families, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, the the conversation, like, really, like, not spiraled in a bad way, but it's it spiraled to a lot of different, um, like, subtopics. Yeah. And we got, finally got into the topic of, like, recruiters in schools. Mm-hmm. We talked about that. And that whole entire conversation just really put into perspective for me. And I actually, like, kind of, I did a complete 180 after that. And I was like, fuck the military. Fuck, like, fuck everyone in the military. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't trust anybody. Um, I didn't want to be in. I felt really stuck. Um, Like, I immediately wanted to get out. Mm. Um, But I also was in college. I wanted to finish my degree. Yeah. 
And I didn't want to pay for that shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's real. So it was a push and pull, you know, and like I ended up um, writing out my contract. Um, and then I would say it's a bittersweet thing. I got uh, diagnosed with fibromyalgia, um, which I now now having the information that I have with a lot of different studies coming out and working in therapy and working with doctors, I am 100 percent. Um, convinced that the military caused my fibromyalgia and that's from MST, military sexual trauma, relating to my PTSD, relating to my full body pain. So my body's reaction to Mm. put me in a state of constant pain, you know, in response to the MST, PTSD. Yeah. So um, with that, I say bittersweet because it was like, my ticket to get out of the military, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, there was a push and pull still because there was, there were, there were things about the military that I liked, um, like the structure and the organization of it, you know, like, um, um, you know, I did make a, a few good friends, you know, in the military and it was like a little bit hard for me to stay in contact with them when, um, they didn't necessarily understand where I was coming from on mm. things at that point. But, um, you know, it was like, it was like a hard push and pull for me. I always had this goal of like staying in until I reached captain. And I was, um, I was a first Lieutenant. So I was like one rank away from being captain. I was like, I don't know if I should just ride this out. You know, I had one more year in my con or no, I had two more years in my contract. Mm-hmm. And I was like, should I just ride this out? But I, I really like thought about like morally, like, what am I, like, what are my morals and my values here? And like how much I do really hate it, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the nights before having to go to drill and stuff, like I would have anxiety and so on and so forth. So like, um, it was bittersweet, but it got me, it got me out. Yeah. So, um, you know, now I'm in this place where I'm not in anymore. And, um, I was always like afraid that like people would find my art you know, like, cause I had visual art that was like anti-war, uh, you yeah. know, and I was always worried that, um, people who I were, who I was in with, like at my unit here in Pittsburgh would find out that I make this like anti-war art and that, you know, there would be like some retaliation or something like that, um, during like drill weekends. But now like, I really just don't care. You know, I'm yeah. just like, this is my story. And like, I gotta tell it. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. How was your family when you decided to leave? Um, when I first brought it up to them, um, I think it was uh, Christmas time in 2016. May have been 2017, but um, I brought it up to them during like Christmas dinner. And uh, they totally didn't understand. A part of that was they didn't know the type of military sexual trauma that I had endured. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to like, lightly tell them without being without telling them the full thing I wasn't ready yet yeah I didn't know how to talk about it um and it was like it was pretty bad it was like you know I felt like um I felt pretty attacked you know what I mean it was like my mom and my dad and my two brothers and my both of my brothers are currently in you know one's active duty air force and one's active duty army so there was like, you know, there was a little victim blaming happening. And mm-hmm. like, um, I ended up getting extremely upset and, uh, to the point where I was like crying so much, I couldn't even like 
talk. Like I couldn't even form words. I ended up leaving Christmas dinner, um, which obviously didn't make people happy. You know yeah. how people are around the holidays. You mm-hmm. ruined dinner. Um, but through uh, some more conversation and me just being really directly upfront of like, yo, listen, this is the shit that happened to me. Right. And let me break this down for you. If I'm your sweet baby girl, your youngest daughter that you you love so much and you don't want anything to happen to me, why would you want me in an institution where literally I could die? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when I kind of broke it down to them like that, they were like, oh yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's real. It's not like I was in the infantry, but it doesn't mean that I can't die. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I can get deployed, you know? So, so why would you want that for me? You know? So I broke down a few things for them and I, I got better at communicating uh, or articulating um, my reasoning, my, my reasons, you know? And mm-hmm. like, they finally were like, okay, like we get it, you know? And for sure. Um, they pretty much did a 180 on that and you know, they're, they're in full support and they understand, you know what I mean? But it did, it did take some time. So, um, yeah. but they're cool with it now. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about why the change to, from like pop to hip hop for this album? Yeah. I think it just comes with a topic. It's a real heavy, it's a real heavy topic. You know, like one of the songs I have on there is, is called hashtag me too. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, there's a little bit of singing on that. Don't get me wrong. Like there's, um, you know, there's, there's several choruses throughout, um, or there's several, so- several songs with choruses that I'm singing, you know what I mean? But like, it's definitely a hip hop album because of how I approach each song, each song, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, like heavy hitting rap. Like I, on some of these songs, like I've never rapped this fast in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Part of that reason is because I brought Trouble NLS back in to co-write it with me. Yeah. So, you know, he, you know, he's a, <laughs> he has a way with words. So he can, yeah, you sure. know, he can rap pretty fast. So um, he's actually like challenging me to, to move a little bit outside my comfort zone, mm-hmm. which I'm happy about because I've like gained new skills too. So, um, but yeah, it, I feel like it just has to be, yeah, you know, sure. like, I can't imagine it being in any other genre. Um, yeah, I just thought of it being in bluegrass. That'd be fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> These recruiters. <laughs> Shit. Oh my god. Yeah, I just have like a little. Like, I heard it in my ear. <laughs> like a mandolin and shit. Okay. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> How do you um, train yourself to, like, rap faster? Practice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, like, I think um, the most difficult part is breathing. Yeah. Finding a place to breathe um, and articulation. I'm really big on articulation. Mm-hmm. Like, why say shit if people can't hear what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's, like, first and foremost. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to push myself to a point where... I'm mumbling and in my head, I'm getting the point across, but people are like, what is she saying? Yeah. That's not like, I don't want you to have to look up my lyrics on genius on genius.com to know what I just said, you know, like that's that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, I think, I think practice, you know, like I, 
before before getting in the studio with Remy and actually recording the vocals, I practiced these songs a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Dry okay. run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where is the best place for you to practice then? Um, honestly, the car. Yeah? Yeah. I, I have a thing where um, it's not like a rule of mine or anything like that, but just I don't listen to any music for like two months leading up to my album mm. uh, release. Um, or I should say, I don't listen to music while recording. Okay. So like if we're in the recording process, I don't, I'm not listening to music. Okay. I'm just listening to my stuff, like to, to the instrumentals that I'm about to like do the vocals over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, dry runs. Treble will sometimes... Um, do a voice memo of his run of through it, of like how he would do it. Mm-hmm. And then I pull things out of that. Sometimes I'll do it over his recording. So I'll practice. It's almost like I'm practicing with him. Yeah. Um, and I'll do that several times and I'll pull some of the things that he does out of it and use it. And then sometimes like, I'll be like, ah, I don't really like the way he went down on that, on that one, you know, like, um, and you know, I want to keep it like the same sound or something like that. So okay. I, I use like, I use my style incorporated with his. Um, so yeah, I just practice a lot and um, I'm, I don't listen to any other music because I feel like it influences my voice too much. For sure. Yeah, like it, like um, if I listen to like, I don't know, if I listen to a lot of Meg The Stallion or whatever, I can almost like hear the difference in my voice when I'm recording. Mm-hmm. So like I have to just not listen to music. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If someone sends yeah. me a song they're like Brittany, like listen to this, I'll listen to it. But like that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what do you want people to walk away with as an experience when they listen to this album? Um. I think like mostly I just want, I think like most artists, like I just want to be seen. Mm. I want to be heard. Um, I also just really, really want kids, teens, parents, teachers, guidance counselors, anybody who has a hand in um, making the decision to join the military or, um, persuading or motivating someone to join the military. Mm-hmm. I want them to have just a more informed decision. Um, I talk about a lot of real things on this album. And, you know, one of them is like sexual harassment and assault. And I'll never pretend like that can't happen outside of the military because I know very much so that's not true. Yeah. But we do know from statistics and from people sharing their stories, that it happens often in the military, and um, it can really—it just really makes things difficult for folks in the military. Not that it doesn't make things difficult for people who are outside the military, but um, it goes. How should I say this? Even when it's reported. It not in times out of ten does not go smoothly and usually results in people having to leave the military. Yeah. So like that's their career, 
That's like what they've had their eyes set on. That's like they, they I'm talking about like people who have planned to be in the military for 20 years and retiring, having a family and everything like that. And because someone in their unit sexually assaults them and they report it, there's retaliation. There's um, there's situations where people have lost out on promotions because they reported it. Um, so many things, you know what I mean? And again, I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen outside the military, but I just want people to know that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. And mostly because when you look at the values that each branch has, you know, like I was in the army. So like there's the army values. Um, there's respect, selfless service. And, and when you start listening, listening, to, listening to these values, and they're beaten to your head so much, you start to really believe that everybody in the army holds up to these values. Mm-hmm. You know, like how could sexual assault and harassment happen when there's these values in place? Yeah. So I just want people to be informed that just because there's these values that are beaten to your head and that you repeat and whatever, you march around and you sing cadences about them and shit, doesn't mean that everyone upholds those values. Okay. So like, that's, that's why I think it's really important to talk about that. And I just want people to know like, Hey, like these numbers are real. You know what I mean? And like, you can't say that these, this many people are bullshit. (laughs) You just can't. So I want people to really be informed of what they're getting into. Um, Again, I'm not going to say that everybody in the military um, doesn't uphold to the values, but there's a lot. Yeah. You know? So, um, the one thing that was repeated to me all throughout, um, when I was in Marine Corps JRTC and when I was in, um, was that, you know, like, this is a brotherhood, sisterhood. Mm -hmm. We have each other's back. We'll never let each other fall. We'll, you know, if I see that, you know, you got a flat tire in your car, I'm going to help you out. You know, like all these things that really makes you start to believe that the military is a family. Um, And it's like, why am I getting sexually assaulted? (laughs) You know? So that's, that's, that's what I want people to come away with when they listen to this album is like the military is not perfect Mm -hmm. um, as they painted. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Cause they do, they do paint it like it's perfect. If you watch, you see the commercials, you're like, wow, I want to be a part of that. Like, I'd be proud to be a part of that. I just, I want people to understand that that, it ain't all like that. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to hear this. Yeah. I'm excited for you to hear it, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Brittany, Mm -hmm. what is your untoppable bop for the week? I think, you know, I'm going to have to say it's cool to be different by Blake Rules on Kids Trap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to say it. What's That's Kids Trap? Kids Trap. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I, I just recently found out about this. You know, there's this whole... I found out about it because my friend sent me, like, four of the tracks. And um, there's, like, a couple... Or I don't even know how many albums on Spotify, but... There's a couple kids trap albums and um, 
They're songs that I wish I had whenever I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, they are very positive. Um, oh, I don't even know how else to describe it. It's just like, it's just like, hell yeah. Like kids need yeah. to be listening to this, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, he talks about empathy. He talks Ooh. about like sharing with a, sharing with a, like sharing toys with others. He talks about uh, reading being cool and fun. Um it's just like it's great. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Like it's helping me. <laughs> like I'm not a kid, but like I'm really listening to these. I'm about to listen to this whole damn album. <laughs> um, but yeah, kids trap. And I I'm I'm definitely pushing for anybody who has kids, anybody who has children or babysits even. You need to bump these jams to these yeah. kids because they need to listen to these. Like, they're so good. They are really good. They're so good. Yeah. Um, there's one called I Love My Mom. <laughs> um, there's one called I Love My Grandma. It, it's so great. Yeah. It's so awesome, you know? Definitely. Yeah. I was surprised that it was an adult voice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was expecting, like, kids bop. No. Yeah. That's the thing. It's very different. It's different. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think it's really cool. Uh <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming to talk to me. Yeah, totally. Thank really you for having me. It. It's always fun. I love listening to the podcast. So oh, thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Do you have any social media or things you want to plug? Any shows coming up? Yeah. So um, you know, of course I have this project coming out. Um it's supposed to drop on President's Day, which is February 17th. Um, and then we're going to have the release party here in Pittsburgh, um, at the Thunderbird, um, which is in Lawrenceville on February 22nd. All you have to do is remember two, 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 right place, right time. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, again, it's called the golden opportunity and it will be available on all the streaming platforms, every single one. I'm also going to put it up on my Bandcamp and my SoundCloud. I don't care. I always say this. I don't care if you buy it. I don't care if you download it for free, like whatever. Um, I just want people to hear it. That's really what it's about. Um, you can find me on pretty much every social media platform. I even have a TikTok. I'm trying to be funny on there, but it's not working out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but pretty much every platform you can search for me. Um, I also have a website. And if you just Google my name, um, you'll find me spelled B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y-C-H-A-N-T-E-L-E. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my cold little heart for listening to this episode and for all the episodes before It's so greatly appreciated. If you like what I do, you can follow me on Instagram at bellbivdaho. That's bell.bivdaho. Daho, D-A-H-O-E. You can follow me on Twitter at Fig Widow. You can read the stuff that I write at Autostrado at autostrado.com and just search Danny Janae. You can find me on Facebook if you're still on there at Danny Janae Poet. Um, yeah, you can follow me on all those things and keep your eyes peeled about things that I'll be talking about in the future. But until then, my dear friends, save spiders and eat fruits. <laughs>